Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Minority Effect. Eddie, how are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I'm, I'm vibing. You know what I'm saying? We've got fucking bear, bear shit going on at the lab at, at the moment. For those who don't know, um, I'm currently undertaking a fourth year, like a kind of like a research project type of thing. Um, and they're killing me, man. They're, they're really, they're really out, outworking me. They, they don't pay me or anything, but um, I'm here for the vibes. What about you, Hanifa? What you, what you been up to? I'm good. Uh, <clears throat> wow. <laughs> my voice really. <clears throat> I was at a concert the other night. I was screaming too much and now I've lost my voice. Um, oh. uh, I'm all right. I'm living life. Um, I'm doing some social media work at the moment. So um, it's all good. Um, yeah, graduate life is very interesting. The, the transition from education to like just living adult life is really weird. I still I still haven't been able to navigate it properly. But um, good or yeah. bad though, good or bad uh both I don't miss the I don't miss the assignments I used to I used to stay up really late doing essays but now I can I stay up late watching Netflix <laughs> I don't know which one my life's just mm. not out. <laughs> it's nice to back is to be back by like, interviewing people um and today we we have a uh, a special guest that we've uh, been introduced to um mm -hmm. look into some of her her work and it's amazing how much she's advocating um, and she'll, she'll talk about it a bit more throughout the episode. But um, without any further ado, let's introduce uh, Masuma. Hi, everyone. I hope everyone's doing good, doing well, staying safe in this time of COVID-19. <laughs> Masuma, do you want to give a quick introduction uh, to yourself, sort of what you've been doing, um, just briefly kind of what you've been studying, um, like the work that, that you do outside of academia as well? Um, so yeah, like you guys said, uh, I'm Masuma. I'm 23 years old. I just recently graduated from Oxford doing my master's in neuroscience. I was in Lady Margaret Hall, LMH. Um, yeah, now I'm free, searching for jobs, looking for jobs, doing interviews, being out uh, from academia world. It's quite like uh, Hanifa said, uh, the transition from... Um, education to work life it's it's very different instead of saying up late doing assignments you're there watching Netflix or on social media or something um, but yeah outside of education I've just uh, been very passionate about um, Afghanistan Afghanistan and uh, since the Taliban takeover I have been extremely um, vocal in my concerns about Afghan people and uh, what they are experiencing, what they are going through, um, especially the fact that I have a lot of immediate families still in Afghanistan stuck and they are highly at risk as well. So it's just a very personal to me. Uh, I have always been um, passionate about Afghanistan and like its people and the culture and raising awareness about Afghan people, just because we, it, a lot of people in the Western world don't know much about Afghanistan other than a war-torn country or you know negative stuff rather than positive positive stuff so I've always tried to advocate positive things about Afghanistan and its people and its culture but mm. recently there has not been a lot of positive things to talk about yeah and yeah. of course we'll, we'll get we'll get into that but um do you did you personally uh grow up in Afghanistan you. Yeah, so I was, um, actually, I was born in Pakistan. Um, mm. uh, my family and I, we moved to Pakistan because of the war uh, in late 90s. 
Um, so we moved to Pakistan. I was born there. After a couple of years, we moved back to Afghanistan once everything was a bit more stable. Um, yeah, so I was um, raised in Afghanistan. Uh, I had my family there, all my uh, cousins and did a, um, I went to school for, a, I think, two years in Afghanistan as well. So I got to see that side of Afghanistan. Um, and then I came to the UK when I was eight years old with my family. My dad was here before us. Uh, he worked here, so he got us visas and we came. But yeah, I was born and raised in Pakistan, but also raised in Afghanistan. So got to see those two countries before coming to the UK. Do you, I don't know, I think it's very interesting. I think because Edu as well moved here when he was quite young. Um, and I feel like for anyone that's um, moved to the UK, they've they identify very differently to those who've grown up here or they feel themselves like split between two different identities like how do you I don't know how do you feel about that yeah identity crisis is a massive thing for people who have migrated from a different country to the UK or US whichever uh I have definitely struggled with that and honestly I still struggle with it just because as you grow older you um you face different things, you come across different uh, things. So you don't know exactly where you fit in in different environments. First is primary school, then it's secondary school, then it's like university, you meet different people and you have different perspective from different people and you hear things. You're just like, okay, wait, that's how I feel. But then you come across new perspective and you're like, hang on, I've never thought about that, but that's so interesting. But you get to learn about yourself as you grow older. And I think that's with anyone, um, regardless of where you are from, where is your homeland, your motherland. Um, but yeah, I definitely struggled that, especially when in my teenage years, just because my family are a first like first generation immigrants in the UK. So they had no idea about like the English culture, the language. We all did not know how to speak right you know read in English at all we had to learn from scratch yeah. so me coming from the, uh, like being here from the age of eight and going uh, to school media for was a massive struggle because I got bullied for not being able to speak English and when I started to learn how to speak English I got bullied for um, mm. um, what's the word the term that they use freshy so all oh, of yeah. these things were used against me but thank God I had and do have a thick skin. So I stood up for myself and did not allow the bullets to take over, you know. Um, I'm not sure. This might be because I'm Afghan. <laughs> we go through a lot. So we tend to, you know, stand up for ourselves a lot. But yeah, in high school, that's when things got a bit more challenging with my identity and my family because I was exposed to the English culture. My friends were all English um my neighbors my everyone like I was exposed to that English world so when I wanted to do sleepovers or anything uh, that's non-Afghan my parents questioned and I had to you know also as much as they had to like keep me um cultured uh, and uh, continue uh, educating me about our history about our culture about Afghanistan and our family who we are I also had to educate them about the English culture as well so it's a bit it's a mix uh, like we all had to like um, you know learn about mm. and I think it's quite interesting you say that actually because I feel like uh, a lot of the time uh, and I think on, on, on here we've talked about uh, how different cultures combine in certain areas of the UK. I don't know, where, where did you grow up in the UK? Was it London or was it somewhere else? 
No, in Birmingham. Birmingham, okay. Still yeah. like a very like culturally diverse sort of yeah. area. Um, and, and in those areas, you do get a lot of like um, cultures mixing. And I think like for me, when when you talk about these identity crisis for a long time, it was it was about understanding all these different cultures that I grew up with, that I grew up around. Like I grew up around African cultures. I grew up about Middle Eastern Arab cultures. I grew up around um, Asian cultures. And and just just because like that that was the background of my friendship group, and yeah. so having such a variety and learning such like different aspects of their cultures and seeing not just like how different they were but also how they overlapped in in some senses, um, yeah. I think it it helps me find a home in in not necessarily having to hold on to a single thing um, as part of my identity. If that makes sense. I very proudly say that um. I grew up in London and, and like that London culture has become part of my my identity do you know what I mean so in, in those senses like like what you were saying um y- your your parents are teaching you about your your culture at home but the culture you're bringing in is also important like for example how when, whenever there's a for me for example whenever there was a, a call from the GP or something my mom doesn't know how to speak English I'm the one to take it I'm the one to deal with all the the council housing stuff do you know what I mean I'm the one oh, that knows how to do that. when we like literally first year in the UK my dad's like, okay what does my taxation say what does this legal documents government documents fill it in from like I don't understand this myself so how do, are you expecting a child to feel um, yeah. like literally from from the very beginning I was responsible for these things because he or my parents used to say like we brought you in this country for what like you gotta help us you know you go to school for what so yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> it's both sides. But yeah, like um, you were saying, like uh, you uh, grew up with mixed cultural friends, and that kind of helped you with your identity. That I can definitely relate to that because once I got into high school, we moved to a different town in Birmingham, and that was uh, my friend group was very diverse from different cultures, and that helped me express my culture more confidently without feeling like oh I'm an outsider. And it also educated me about other, other people and their cultures and how they grow up. And I got to see that we have so many similarities and that's what made me connect with so many different people from different countries and made me appreciate like, you know, um, the similarities and differences that we have and how surprisingly, there's a lot of similarities between Afghans and people from uh, other countries like Middle East or Asia, even European as well. Just to rewind a little bit, you advocate a lot for rights in Afghanistan. For anyone that isn't well educated on the matter, can you just do a little bit of a rundown on what's happened with the Taliban and everything like that? Yeah, one of the biggest misconceptions that I want to raise in this podcast is that a lot of people are pro-Taliban and that's because they, they believe deep down that they have changed they have a different concept this time this round um, to how they were back 20 21 years ago Um, this is not the case at all Uh, 20 years ago they did a lot of a lot of bad things in terms of minorities women's and girls rights and just generally for the country for all people in Afghanistan and uh, what what's different about this time and in the past couple months what they have been doing is they have been discreetly doing the things that they normally do but in such a smart way that people 
or the media does not catch up. Uh, a lot of people um, do not uh, watch or listen or are connected with other districts in Afghanistan and the Taliban are doing a lot of bad things. Uh, they, uh, any sort of media coverage is blocked, any sort of connection that people have are blocked. But fortunately, with the Hazara community, um, Hazaras are an ethnic minority, well, have become an ethnic mi minority in Afghanistan, are quite closely connected uh, a, uh, with the Hazaras in those districts, and they report to us what's happening realistically in those districts. Uh, in terms of uh, how Hazaras are being displaced, their houses are being taken by the Taliban because they they are told, they get told that this is not your home, this belongs to the Taliban, to the Pashtuns or to the Tajiks because those are the real Afghans rather than the Hazaras. So they are being forcefully taken out from their homes that have been their house or their home, their village for centuries from mm. their ancestors, but they get told that just one day like get out this is not your house anymore this is where we belong this is our country or girls young girls they get forcefully married uh, to old men old talibans old soldiers soldiers let's say um and like a lot of other minorities such as sikhs and hindus get displaced get uh, got discriminated tortured just because they are different to the taliban to the pashtuns uh majority of well a lot of like 95% let's say of the Taliban are Pashtun uh, are Pashtuns so mm. they believe they are the real Afghans and anyone who's different to them do not belong in Afghanistan and thus they have to be mistreated tortured or killed and yeah, uh, yeah because they don't belong in Afghanistan they have to go back to their old uh, to their home country like what is that you know where is that because Hazaras, for example, have been in Afghanistan for centuries and centuries, and they've all been discriminated against just because they are different religiously, uh, in terms of facial features, culturally, language-wise, yeah, and so much more. Yeah, and 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 with that sense, so so you're Hazara yourself, right? Yes. And uh, the Hazara, because uh, for a lot of people, wouldn't wouldn't I feel like know what the breakdown of ethnicity okay. like in Afghanistan. I think a lot of people wouldn't understand how diverse uh, Afghanistan is in terms of where each of these ethnicities have come from, right? So for example, the Hazaras descendants are from, from Mongolians. Yeah, well, it's mixed, but that's one of the things, yeah. Um, and so uh, because of, of how many people, I guess, have, have tried to what, talking geographically, that the land of Afghanistan, how many people have tried to conquer it, has created this great division in terms of the ethnic backgrounds of, of people that, that live in the country, right? So for yeah. first of all, I think that's, that, that's the first grounds we need to establish. Um, but could you quickly give a quick rundown of kind of like the main ethnic groups in, in Afghanistan yeah. and which ones um, you, like you were describing, the, the, the Taliban advocates for as true Afghans um, uh, and so on? Yeah. So as you said, there are a diverse group of ethnic groups in Afghanistan and religious groups in Afghanistan. Um, the main ones are Pashtun, which is currently the majority ethnic group in Afghanistan, the Hazaras, the Tajiks, the Turkmen, the Uzbek, the Baluch, uh, and there's so many more that I can't remember right now. But yeah, these are the main ones. And throughout history, um, 
the minority ethnic groups such as the Hazaras, the Tajiks, the Uzbeks, the Turkmens have become a minority simply because of the discrimination they faced and against the Pashtuns uh, um, because they were different. And uh, one of the other differences between the Pashtuns and Hazaras and other ethnic groups in Afghanistan is that Hazaras are Shia Muslims, whereas Pashtuns are Sunni Muslims because Afghanistan is an Islamic country. They and majority of the ethnic group is Pashtun, so they say Sunnis is the right religion and anything different should not belong to Afghanistan. And every, uh, so they either have to convert or get out of the country, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, Shia Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, um, all of these re other religious beliefs, uh, the people had to like, um, face a lot of discrimination, injustice, behaviors uh, throughout history. Mm. And, and some of some of these have been persecuted for, for, for many years, right? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, there's been massive genocides against Hazara people simply because of their religious beliefs and how different they are to the Pashtuns and Sunni Muslim. Has um, knowing everything that's happened in your country, you know, the struggles that your people have faced, has that sort of impacted the way you view your education here? So when I was younger, as I mentioned, I studied in Afghanistan. I um, I saw in my neighborhood, like a lot of girls did not go to school simply because they would be in danger, first of all. And they face a lot of discrimination within the community as well, because they were, they would get told that you're a girl, you can't go to school, it's a mixed school, or if you do want education, you just go to madrasa, which is like a religious school, where you just get taught how to read the Quran, and like how to pray, and all, all the other religious stuff, um, but yeah, I, but thank God my family are very pro-education, so they, you know, ensured uh, our education, and make sure that we all get educated girls, boys, regardless, um, but now that I'm in the UK and I see how much of a struggle it is for a lot of girls in Afghanistan in different districts, not just Kabul, in a lot of different districts to become educated. And now that the Taliban have prevented girls uh, to get educated from, yeah, I think uh, from year seven and above, um, that's to me that is just mind-blowing because education is the source of our future it's how we can develop the country uh so when and women are half of the population if not more of the country so how can you uh prevent girls and women from being educated and having some sort of participation in the society in the government um and for the country so for the community in general education has been shown throughout the past 20 years how much of a difference it made for the country especially when women had their rights to be educated to work to have some sort of role in society and now that has been prevented and uh, well when it comes to um, to women's rights especially in education as, as we're talking about it here do you feel like uh the taliban takeover so if we compare right the period of time where um, the US and allies were, were in Afghanistan, um, and now that the Taliban's taken over, how do you feel this, that there's been a shift in, in the access to education for, for women, for example? 
So as I mentioned earlier, 20, since the past 20 years, women had rights to be educated, to go to university, to have some sort of job in the government, high position jobs. Uh, but now that you see there's no woman at all in any governmental positions, women cannot go to work. Mm -hmm. They are yeah. refused. So the Taliban announced that women can go to work. They go to work they get turned back and saying, go back home. You don't belong here. You are not safe here. This is not a place for you. So, you know, it, it's like I said, the Taliban portray themselves as someone different, uh, that they have changed, that they are here for the better of the country and things like that. But behind the scene, they show a completely different side in the country. Do you think that's, um, and, and, uh, and feel free to shut this down fully, do you feel like that's um, a direct doing of the Taliban right now? Or do you think it's residual cultural um, elements from the Taliban in the like the Taliban movement in the 90s and when they first tried to take over? In the this early has 2000s? always been the Taliban's ideology and movement. It is not something new. They, they showed these things before and they are doing it now. But like I said, they're doing it in a way that people don't notice or catch on which is yeah. why it's kind of frustrating because that's why we have so many pro-Talibans right now. Uh, they are being, you know, um, fooled around basically, uh, brainwashed that they are doing something good, that they are allowing, for example, a, a month ago or so, um, a bunch of women fully covered went to university saying, oh yes, we have our rights to go and be educated in university. First of all, women in Afghanistan does not dress like that at all. I have visited, I have lived in Afghanistan. I have family in Afghanistan. I am very closely connected with people in Afghanistan. No one dresses or acts or speaks like that in Afghanistan. That is not part of Afghanistan culture. So I don't know where that came from, first of all. Second of all, women in Afghanistan, do not support the Taliban at all. No woman that I've come across support the Taliban in a way that they would be like, yes, this is um, what the Taliban are doing, their movement, their ideologies, I support them. This is better for, uh, for the people of Afghanistan or for the country. Not at all. So it, whatever they are doing is deep down to the original route. Nothing has changed. If not, they have gone worse. Yeah. In, a way that is fooling everyone in the world mm, yeah because obviously the way that they're portrayed in the media um also affects like you said uh, the way they're displayed would also affect people's points of views um i want to ask you about the opinion what you what you've gathered from family you have over there in terms of the opinion of the taliban in in rural areas versus urban areas and how how that varies and how it kind of shapes the climate in Afghanistan. How do you feel like there's there's that is there a division across districts? Because there's always, I guess, since um, since this and this goes back quite a long time to the '90s. I guess there's because there's, Afghanistan has always been kind of like quite divisive in terms of uh, in terms of like the the political views and local authorities and and how it all works politically. Do you feel like that still happens? today and, and with regards to the Taliban as well in terms of opinions, perspectives, etc. Yeah, in terms of like um, how your first question, urban and rural areas, uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, in districts that are not covered by the media, you get to see what people are experiencing and uh, facing every day. Uh, 
from the Pashtun side, from the Hazara side, from the Tajik side, and so many more. And like I am very connected with the Hazara side uh, in a district called Daikundi. People, Hazara people are being displaced, they are being mistreated, they are being killed, they are being kidnapped. Um, it, people uh, in Pashtun areas, um, a lot of them don't support the Taliban. Uh, a lot of people don't support the Taliban, but for the sake of their own safety and well-being, they have to, they are forced to. So it's kind of you have to play along with them in order to survive and live. Um, in Kabul, for example, the capital, uh, a lot of people are more vocal against the Taliban, especially the women. They are out in the streets protesting against the Taliban in front of them. This is something that's so courageous, so amazing that I have seen. And I'm so proud of the Afghan woman for doing this because in rural areas, in district, uh, in smaller districts, uh, women would not be able to have that, uh, don't have that courage. They're not able to do that. Uh, whereas in the capital, they can do it and they do have the courage just because in the capital, women, uh, Afghans in general, are a lot more exposed to different um, perspectives of people who have different ideas about the Taliban. Like you have the pros and you have people who are against the Taliban. So yeah, um, also like people in the capital, they, some of them also believe that they are, they are, you know, they have changed, they don't do anything to the people, you just have to go and live your normal life. And I think this is very uh, ignorant of those people to say, just because they are not targeted. They are safe, they have like, for example, a stable job, or they are not in a high risk group. And I think this is where the misconception comes from that the Taliban are, have changed, or they don't do anything harmful towards the people. Uh, it's just that they don't face anything uh, just because they don't experience the discrimination, the injustice behavior or any uh, mistreatments does not mean it doesn't exist. So I recently listened to a podcast episode by um, the Worldwide Tribe. They'll be linked below if anyone who wants to listen to this particular episode. Um, it featured someone called Rustam Wahab, who, if anyone doesn't know, is Afghan and owns the page UK Factor Politics. Um, and he was talking about how... Um, his family um, left Afghanistan to come to the UK, um, the different things that people have faced back home, his family, and how when the Taliban took over, a lot of people were turning to him um, as a source of information, as a point of information for what was really happening back home. Um, and how the worldwide media weren't, you know, covering it enough and weren't saying the right thing. Um, what are your thoughts on the initial social media surge that was happening a few months ago when the Taliban took over and how it's died down now. And is there anything in particular you'd like to say to our listeners um, about what's changed since then? Because, you know, a lot has changed, but, you know, not many people are talking about it online. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things about media, social media, and anything that gets covered in media is very, uh, it's very, um, centered around what's trending right now, what's hot right now. And it dies out anything, regardless if it's about topics about Afghanistan, Palestine, or anything Black Lives Matters, or anything uh, 
critical that's happening in the UK with the government, it dies out. Next week, next month, everyone forgets about it. Something new comes up, you know? So this is very normal and uh, expected. So we can't be mad about this because it happens with everything. However, um, a couple months ago when the Taban recently took over Afghanistan, yes, the whole thing was being covered very intensely by uh, TV news, uh, by other articles, by other reporters, by uh, social media, Instagram specifically. And uh, yes, some of the things that were actually happening were being covered. However, that's only like, let me say, 20% of what actually happened in Afghanistan. And this is the reality about media in general. They don't cover everything. They can't cover everything just because time issues, the people that are there, what they can and can't report, you know. Um, but uh, one of the things I was really grateful about social media, specifically Instagram, is that I had friends who were, who are UK citizen, who were stuck in Afghanistan at that time, or friends and family who are Afghan citizens, and they reported to us exactly what was happening. And there are a lot of Afghans to this day who are constantly reporting updates about what's happening in Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, this kind of, you know, raise awareness other than what's being reported on, uh, on the TV on issues about Afghanistan and what's happening and what people are experiencing. So, um, yeah like for example with the whole airport situation in Kabul like yes that was covered on the news however only little stuff a small percentage of what actually happened at the airport was covered um one of the things that wasn't covered is how people with the right documentation with the right uh rights to evacuate the country were not being evacuated due to discrimination uh from the uh, people who worked at the airport, uh, from the Taliban, um, from the uh, international community, even. Is um, that is that would you say once again to do with the ethnic minority breakdown in Afghanistan? Yeah. So would you yes. say that Hazara people were targeted once again? And, yes. And other so in 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 situations like that, discrimination happened against Hazara people. So Hazar people who work with the government or were journalists or high risk profile people uh, yeah. were being refused by people who worked at the airport and by the Taliban. So mm. they were brutally beaten and told, uh, you know, got kicked out from the queue or were injured and harmed uh, just to like, you know, prevent them from staying uh, in queuing at the airport and entering the airport to be evacuated. Um, and one of the main targets of this was because they looked different. So that was one of the things that made them stand out. And even though they had the right documentation, they were showing it and they were proving that they have the right to evacuate the country or they are not even Afghan uh, citizens. They are UK citizens. They weren't being allowed to leave the country. Do, do you feel like the uh, it was a, it's a responsibility of, for, for countries? Countries like the UK, the US, that who um, to uh, to have kept more of an eye on uh, on these type of this is uh, yeah. This is one of the goals of some of the Hazara and Afghan communities in the UK. We we really try to put pressure on the government to 
uh, prioritize Hazara people and we reported to them what is happening at the airport and what is happening in Afghanistan against the Hazara people and how they are high risk people and that must be evacuated. Uh, Hazara people have historically been killed for being Hazara so and now they are being discriminated to be evacuated from the country even with the right documentation and currently in Afghanistan they are being uh, displaced from their houses and being mistreated discriminated uh, you know so it's um, we, tr we have and are trying to pressurize the government in the UK to prioritize Hazara people specifically because uh, the people that one of, one of the other things I want to raise is that the people that have evacuated Afghanistan thus far for, uh, and have come to the UK specifically have been uh, our majority non-Hazaras and that's one of the reasons one of the reasons for this is because Hazara people were not given the opportunity to take uh, jobs uh, to do with the government journalism and journalism or uh, you know high well-paid um, jobs uh, in the government or anything to do with Afghanistan because they were told you are Hazara you are not supposed to have this kind of job um, this job kind of belongs to a different ethnic group so because of that Hazara people did not have the opportunity to get good jobs and now use that opportunity to evacuate the country and so a lot of non-Hazaras have evacuated and that uh, and a lot of Hazaras are stuck behind uh, in danger so this is one of the things that I really wanted to you know mm -hmm. raise awareness of like uh, Hazara people have always been discriminated and they are in danger in Afghanistan and something needs to be done to help them. So to, to summarize in that sense you're saying that uh, in the past generally uh, Hazara people haven't been able to access these uh, these opportunities to be um, at higher levels of responsibility in the government um, and, and just yeah. generally highly important roles within yeah. the country and because of that there was already kind of like a bottleneck that narrowed down um, towards non-Hazaras that, that had that priority to leave the country when the Taliban did take over and yeah. those yeah. Who, who had the opportunity to leave were discriminated against anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, you talked obviously about about the some of the activism going on here um, and if you don't mind sharing would you, would you mind maybe talking a bit more about the response that you've received from 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 trying to to um, contact the government etc yeah so I have um, I have personally tried and have been in contact with some people in the government regarding my family my friends and uh, people who are highly at risk in Afghanistan. And the response that we have been getting from the government is absolutely appalling. Uh, it's very slow. Um, no, nothing um, good has come. Uh, they have, you know, played around with us trying to pass time. And in a way they indirectly told us, uh, just wait, everything will get better. There's There must be an element of defeat that you, and your people feel, especially when you're in this country and you feel as if you can't do anything about it, you know, you're contacting the government and trying to vocalise um, people's experiences from back home. And yet, because of your location, there is little that you can do. Um, yeah. 
is there anything that you'd recommend for anyone listening, you know, if they want to um, research a little bit more about Afghanistan or if they want to help in some way, is there any, is there anything that you would recommend that they should do? Um, well, currently Afghanistan is facing a huge humanitarian crisis. A lot of people are displaced. A lot of people don't have um, the the facilities for, you know, providing for their family. You know, they are jobless. They don't have money. They are starving. Starvation is a huge thing right now. Winter is coming. So people who are displaced from their homes, living in camps, how are they supposed to survive in this harsh winter with no food, no heating? So one, uh, so my one of the things that I want to like ask people is to first do research, educate yourself around the matter of what's happening in Afghanistan, with ethnic minorities, religious minorities, with um, poverty, with you know the humanitarian crisis that's happening right now, and what the Taliban are doing and things like that, and then try and seek how you can help. So one of the things that you can do right now is find charities that are directly helping um, Afghan people in issues like this. And what uh, myself and a few other Afghans in the UK are doing, we are raising uh, money for different charities and we are um, hosting different kind of events. And and the other things would be to um, support Afghan women in their rights and in education. One of the things that they could do is sponsor an Afghan girl to for their education in terms of, for example, uh, providing tutoring or paying for their school fee or supporting the family uh, to encourage their daughters to go and get educated. Um, I'd, I'd like to just like, because obviously there's a lot that you're doing um, being being in the UK um, and and like Hanifa said earlier it's, a, it's it's obviously you must feel some sense of importance so I just wonder with especially with the Taliban at the time and taking over I've seen on social media quite a few um, activists um, sort of reaching out in fear um, and it's kind of made me wonder what the activism scene has become in Afghanistan with the Taliban or do you think people who are like well-known um, and openly speaking activists do you think they're still able to carry out that safely do you think people are basically still able to share their views their opinions safely or is that another thing that people should be wary of one of the corrupt things about um in any politics is that people want to be safe in terms of their career, in terms of their perspectives and sharing their opinions and how to be activists. So I know a couple of people who who are quite popular, who have a huge audience and they purposely do not raise any awareness and do not use their platform to raise awareness about Afghanistan and what's happening in Afghanistan because it might damage their profile, it might damage their career, it might damage their future opportunities. And this is a really unfortunate situation because I don't think in situations like this, you should even think about things like that. But we do have people in the government, we do have ordinary activists on social media who does this and people purposely sometimes does not do it just because they are very selective in what they share. And I think that's a huge, uh that's that's a really um that's unfortunate uh mm. 
uh, and that's uh, that's quite sad to see because you shouldn't be selective in things like this you should if you're going to be an activist and if you're going to raise awareness about a matter do it properly and do it correctly with the correct information but yeah um activists uh for example like activists outside of Arnison, i feel like should raise awareness as much as they can regardless if you have two followers or hundreds and thousands of followers uh you you're not going to be in danger because you're you're not in Afghanistan. People who are in Afghanistan are activists and they choose not to share some things or raise their voice or make themselves stand up. Absolutely understandable. And uh, you know, I wouldn't criticize them at all because they're in danger. They are targeted. Yeah, people in Afghanistan uh, uh when they try and do something to raise awareness about Afghanistan and become activists and are activists uh it's okay i think in my opinion that they you know keep down and keep low but people outside of afghanistan uh you have to you uh, like i i would not be able to sit here and just watch things happen and not have a say i'm very opinion opinionated i'm very vocal about any matter that's going on worldwide absolutely um it's so important that people spread the word on these kinds of things it's exactly how messages get out there you know um through social platforms and through anything that we're able to reach um for anyone listening for anyone who would like to find your social platforms or follow you uh keep up to date with everything that you share where can they find you so i'm, I'm very active on instagram and my instagram name is this is a masuma masuma m-a-s-u-m-a um i try to share a lot of things that's currently happening in afghanistan um i have people like that i follow that are currently in afghanistan that i get my sources from and people outside of afghanistan as well who are very well aware of what's going on uh i don't know a lot of things i learn new things every single day and uh one of the way i do it is by being active and by reaching out to people and through me, a lot of other people get to become aware of what's happening in Afghanistan. I get so many messages from people and saying, thank you so much for sharing this. I didn't know this, or where can I learn more? You know, this is how things get shared, as you said, uh, from regardless how many followers you have, regardless uh, your influence. Like um, I see myself and I hear other people as well, where we don't even like, we see something on social media and then we go to our small group or family and we discuss things. We're like, oh, this happened or that happened. And then they could potentially go to their own different group and discuss those things. And this is how you raise awareness. Uh, sometimes just uh, informing other people about the issues in Afghanistan is, is all that matters because it starts from knowing and understanding and then doing something about it. Yeah, of course. And and you can anyone can find all of these links down below. Um and, and please, please do take action yourself. Hopefully through people like uh Masumi you can find you can find other resources that can lead you or to um yeah if anyone wants to learn more or wants to find books and resources that they could uh you know educate themselves uh just dm me literally just dm me and i'll send you a few links um and a few other instagram accounts who are really good at raising awareness about afghanistan 
Yeah, uh, well, amazing. Thank you so much, Masuma, um, for sitting with us and, and talking to us. And I think uh, it's very interesting to compare what you read versus what someone actually experiences and, and what you know people experience given given your family being there, etc. Um, and it's definitely more, I feel like it's way more educational uh, just because you actually get, you get, rather than just reading what, like, you understand people's experiences better than you would do someone trying to word something like very nicely that flows nicely etc on an art article where they're trying to clearly like obviously raise awareness about an issue but also they're journalists and at the end of the day journalists have a job to do you know what I mean so yeah. uh, honestly all those all the experiences all the thoughts and uh, opinions that you have shared are very valuable um, and and I hope everyone takes it with a pinch of salt because everything you said obviously based on your experiences are are very important, but people also need to, like you said, educate themselves to be able to form a, a complete view about the matter. Thank you again for chatting to us today. It's been such an important conversation. Um, just a reminder for those of you listening, everything will be linked down below. Please do check it out. Please do check out Masumo on Instagram. Check out the links that we've put down below. See you next Thank time. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I uh, you know, spoke a bit of too much about some things and maybe not enough about other things um yeah i hope you guys found this informative and please educate yourself on what's happening in afghanistan although it's not being covered a lot now in the news or on social media it's still a really really important issue and a lot of terrible things are still happening in afghanistan um uh so try to be active try to still learn what's and keep up to date and try and help if you can mm. In terms of um, thank you everyone for listening once more and see you next time